Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance's teaching in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 14, called The Bondage of Legalism. So Jesus has now declared he is the greater David, the fulfillment of all the things that, that, that David and the other kings of the nation failed to be, everything that they failed to be. Jesus has come and he's the fulfillment of all those things, the perfect, compassionate, just, and holy king. And then he says, he is the ultimate high priest. He, he talks about the high priest. Well, Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate high priest who will atone for the people. And then he says, something greater than the temple is here and it is me. Jesus is saying, I am greater than the temple. I'm God in flesh standing before you, and you don't want to see it. And can you imagine the, the people who are the entourage standing by listening, the Pharisees are standing there fuming as Jesus is saying what they would consider blasphemy. And the Messiah is standing in front of them, and they refuse to receive him. And we look at that in our modern context in view of the cross, knowing the whole story and say, how could they do that? But you and I do that all the time. We put stake in, well, I, man, if I just do this, I'll make things right. No, God wants you to just accept the fact that you cannot be enough. He pours out his grace and mercy on you and you repent of your sin and he makes you new. That is the gospel. That's what makes Christianity different than any other belief system that has ever existed and will ever exist, is that God, through the form of Jesus, entered into the human experience and suffered so that we could be redeemed. There is no other system on earth or system of belief that will ever tell you that God entered into your pain and paid the price for you. Everything else that has ever existed and will ever exist is predicated on how good you can be. And when Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons come to your door, I, there are so many wonderful people I've had conversations with in those moments, but I know in the back of their mind, they don't know where they're going. They're hoping that they've done enough. And ultimately, they're at my door. They might love me, but it's more out of obligation. They know they have to do those things to hopefully earn enough merit with God. That is not freedom. And that is not love. God desires way better for you and me this morning. And so if you want to know what it is to be free, it's to know Jesus. And unfortunately, the religious leaders did not know this. And what they will often say in the midst of the conversations, I, I, uh, when, my last, uh, when our son was born several months back, um, our nurses are stuck with us for 12 hours at a time, so we're like, hey, let's share the gospel with them because they can't go anywhere anyway, right? And so... We had a nurse that was so sweet. She's such a sweet lady, and she's a Jehovah's Witness. And so at first, I was like, oh, you're a believer, right on. Yeah, we're talking. And she's like, yeah, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I'm like, oh, we don't agree. And I said it. I said, yeah, actually, we don't agree on who Jesus is. And she said, I know. I said, yeah, actually, that's like really important. Like if we get that wrong, nothing else matters. And so then I started just like gently and compassionately but being like, so who do you think Jesus is? And she couldn't get past the fact that Jesus could be both the Son of God and God. And I said, well, this is the idea of the Trinity. And this is where good theology helps us understand the person of Jesus. And, you know, she agreed to disagree, and I pray for her when I think about her. But I will tell you, Jesus claimed to be God. 
over and over again. And he takes on the same, uh, he says it again here in verse 8. He says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Who is Lord over the Sabbath but the author of the Sabbath? Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. Make no mistake. And the Pharisees know it. And I love, Jesus probably, I, I always think of Jesus, he's probably a little witty. And I feel like Jesus probably said that. He'd been walking stride and stride, you know, step and step with the Pharisees. And then Jesus said, yeah, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. All right, see you guys. And they're like back, they're like, did you hear what he just said? And Jesus is like, <laughs> walking into the synagogue. And he goes, what you were about to read is, Jesus says, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. I am God. And then he says, now watch this. And he walks into the Sabbath and he's about to do something pretty miraculous. Wearsby says this, in declaring himself Lord over the Sabbath, Jesus was actually affirming equality with God for God had established the Sabbath. Jesus is claiming to be God. If you don't believe me, that title son of man is also the son of man is a claim to be God. He is claiming to be God. If you don't believe me, turn, we're going to push our time a little bit, but this is so good. We have to turn there. Turn to Mark 14. That's the next book in your Bible. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew, Mark. I love to hear the turning pages. Mark 14. Mark 14, all the way, 14 is very long. Uh, Verse 61. Verse 61 of of Mark 14. And here is now, we fast forwarded a little bit uh, in Jesus' life. Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now he is there before the Sanhedrin being put on trial, unjustly, I might add. They couldn't actually convict him of any crime. So they had to lie about him uh, and accuse him falsely to get him arrested. They bring him in. And if you don't believe that the Son of Man is a very important term and the Pharisees knew exactly what Jesus was saying, well, then explain this passage to me. Mark 14, 61 says, And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Huh. Okay, so Jesus definitely claimed to be Christ. And then he says this, And you will see, here it is, the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest said, oh, okay, cool. No. He said, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him saying, prophesy. In other words, tell us who hit you if you are the Christ. And the guards received him with blows. Explain that reaction to me if Jesus is not equating himself with God and claiming to be God. Know your Bibles, friends, because when you hear people say Jesus never claimed to be God, this is just one of many examples where you can turn in your Bible and say, then what is this? Why would they condemn him to death if he wasn't committing blasphemy? He was claiming to be God. Turn back to Matthew and we'll finish up. And so it's very clear. I will just tell you as a quick side note. Uh, Alistair Begg, whom I I really enjoy his teachings, he has a whole series on the Truth For Life app called Who Is Jesus? I think it's like a seven-part series. He goes through all the different I am statements in the New Testament, and it is so powerful to just see the things that Jesus said about who he was. Jesus most certainly claimed to be God. He is God. He sits on the throne. And so let's continue and finish up because this section's pretty quick. So all this is now unfolded. There's definitely tension. The Pharisees are back there whining some more. And Jesus now says, watch this, walks into the synagogue, and it says in verse 9 of Matthew 12, he went from there and entered into their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered or crippled hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? 
so that they might accuse him. Did they care if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? No. They didn't care about the guy getting better. They just wanted to accuse Jesus. This is not the first time that we've seen this from the Pharisees, and it will not be the last. And in fact, many scholars speculate, this is just conjecture, that they may have grabbed this guy off the streets and just put him in the synagogue just to do this. Utter lack of compassion. They do not care about this man's well-being. Understand this. Luke tells us in his account of this passage, another eyewitness account, confirming these events and adding even other details, which is pretty cool, that it was the man's right hand. We know, historically, most people in this culture would have been right-handed. There's a really cool passage in the book of Judges, I believe, where there's a left-handed swordsman named Ehud. And Ehud assassinates an evil king on behalf of God's, you know, leading. And he goes in as an assassin. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's so cool, man. It's like Lord of the Rings in the Bible. And he sneaks in to the, through the guards at the gates of the palace. And you know how he does it? Because he's left-handed. So to my understanding, a right-handed swordsman drew from his left hip, right? You draw across his body. Uh, and some of you are confirming that. Cool. Maybe you know more about medieval things than I do and swords. But Ehud carried his sword on his right hip because he's left-handed. But nobody was left-handed in that day. And so when he goes through the palace gates and is checked by the guards before he assassinates the king, they check his, his, his robe. Everybody wore robes. And he lifts his robe and there's no sword underneath his robe. So they say, go ahead. Because Ehud's left-handed. And he goes in, he said, I have a message from the Lord. That's literally what he says. I have a message from the Lord and I'm not making this up. He draws his sword, stabs him. It says in the, it says in the text, the king was very fat and he soiled himself when Ehud stuck him with his sword. That is actually what the story says. They don't need to make up new movies. They could just make movies on the book of Judges and they would be like breaking records for sales. They'd be the most insane war movies you've ever seen. Just so entertaining. So anyway, all that to say is, I just want to share my, one of my favorite old passages with you, but uh, we, this guy's probably right-handed, which means he's probably out on the streets, very poor or completely reliant on other people to take care of him because he cannot work because almost every job in this day and age, and even now, requires you to put your hands to work. And I want to just point out the sharp contrast between Jesus's view of this man and the Pharisees. The Pharisees see this man as a means to an end. Jesus walks in, and sees this man and has compassion on him. That is the difference between legalism and a Christ-like way of seeing things. I would argue, in my experience, compassion almost always deteriorates. I'm sorry, legalism almost always deteriorates compassion. People who are legalistic are often some of the least compassionate people. Because they only care about this and that, A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, and the other things seem to not matter. Be careful that we don't become like that. And so, they ask him the question to try to set him up, and Jesus hits him with some basic, big old, common sense. Your Bible is full of common sense. The Proverbs are full of common sense. Use your brain. Jesus has gone in verses 1 through 8 of using Scripture to argue for his case, and now he just appeals to their common sense and human condition and says, in verse 11, he said to them, which one of you, if you had a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value then is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful then to do good on the Sabbath. I love my dogs. I have a picture of my dogs. Uh, my dogs are the cutest dogs, and you can't change my mind about that. That's Duke and Honey. Uh, H- Honey is a red retriever, and Duke is a red husky. 
Um, we found Duke. We were actually looking for Red Husky. He came to us. I'm not even kidding. He showed up at our backyard, and the owner, uh, when I finally got in a hold of them, I called them, and I jokingly said, hey, we'll keep him. And they were like, no, do you want to keep him? And I was like, wait, really? And so we ended up keeping him. Uh, they're very cute dogs. I love my dogs. My dogs are not more important than any human being. You'll hear more from Pastor Shane Lance in a moment. Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a very special event that we're hosting at the church where I serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship right here in the city of Corona. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. I'll tell you, it's some of the top apologetic speakers in the Christian world. This is Lenny Esposito. Now, this conference is designed to specifically tackle our sex-saturated culture and provide answers to the challenges believers face today. Subjects that fill today's headlines like What is critical theory and is it compatible with faith? Now, we'll also tackle really specific church issues such as the battle for the biblical Adam and Eve, the war against the family and how our relationships are being undermined. We'll also deal with how our culture is losing its grip on knowledge as real. Why don't you check it out today? Go to walkintruth.com. Look for that link at the top of our site, walkintruth.com, and you can link right there. Sign up, bring some friends, and grow in your most holy faith. God bless you. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane, on Walkin' Truth. We found Duke. We were actually looking for Red Husky. He came to us. I'm not even kidding. He showed up at our backyard, and the owner, uh, when I finally got in a hold of them, I called them, and I jokingly said, hey, we'll keep him. And they were like, no, do you want to keep him? And I was like, wait, really? And so we ended up keeping him. Uh, they're very cute dogs. I love my dogs. My dogs are not more important than any human being. They're dogs. And Duke is, uh, if you have a husky, you know this, they're escape artists. I've had some moments where I've almost shed some tears because I, I'll tell you a quick story. Duke got out one time. I was driving down Ontario Avenue and somebody had dropped a bag of cotton out of their, um, their car. It was like cotton balls spread all over the, the street. And as I was approaching at night, I thought, that's Duke. It was like, I thought he got hit by a car and he just got obliterated. And if you've ever seen a husky get brushed, you would understand what I'm saying. It's just endless amounts of white hair. And, uh, you know, so I love my dogs, but they're not more important than people. So Jesus hits them with common sense and says, you guys, if you had a sheep and it fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not pull it out? How much more important is your fellow men? And here's that verse that I was uh, alluding to earlier, um, that if we say, 1 John 4.20 If we say we love God, but we hate our brother, we are a liar. O'Donnell says this, love one's neighbor trumps Sabbath law. No, that's not right. Love one's neighbor is Sabbath law. You want to keep the Sabbath holy? Love people. And don't just do it one day a week. Love people. Some of us just need to be more compassionate. We need to have more compassion. Jesus, he, he was... Like said of Abraham Lincoln, he was that perfect combination of velvet and steel. Jesus was the perfect combination of being able to speak a harsh word and put people in their place and, and kneel before the, the suffering person and say, I have compassion for you. And so in verse 13, as we finish up, Jesus said to the man, and you can almost hear in his voice the mix of compassion for this man and just for utter frustration with the religious leaders, stretch out your hand. And when the man stretched it out, it was restored, healthy like the other. Isn't that amazing? 
In The Chosen, they show this, and his hand is basically stuck like this. And you can tell it's all pale and lifeless. There's no blood. And the way they do it with the you know, CGI and stuff is his hand comes back to life, and the blood comes back in. It retains its color, and he can move it. And so our final verse says, And the Pharisees rejoiced and said, Lord, forgive us of our hateful hearts. No, that's not what it says. It says in verse 14, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy or kill him. The religious leaders of the day, your modern day pastors. Can you imagine a group of pastors watching a miracle happen and being like, the guy that did that, we need to kill him. I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. God just worked through this person. Praise the Lord. And even more so, the Messiah is standing there and has just healed somebody of a physical ailment and potentially changed this guy's life for the better forever. And they can't even have a moment of joy. That brings me to some of our closing thoughts. I said this already. Legalism deteriorates compassion. Legalism corrupts joy. People who are legalistic struggle to be joyful. I don't know if that's you this morning, but maybe you need to go back to my earlier words and just relax. You need to just relax because you are so tightly wound. Is that your reputation with people that you're just so tightly wound? That's not a good characteristic to be known by. And so you say, well, what do I do? How do I live a life that isn't full of legalistic tendencies? I think it's this simple. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, that is God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I think that's what it is right there. To live a life as a Christian, I think it's, it's actually that simple. Would you agree this morning that we overcomplicate our Christian faith? Yeah, like all the time. And I feel like the word of the Lord today for us from this passage is, would you guys relax a little bit? And maybe, now I will say this, there is the other side of this coin. Some of y'all are too relaxed. Maybe I just hit home with a lot more people. You need to get in your Bible more. You need to get to church more. You need to make Christ more on the forefront of your life. And maybe that is you. I'm not asking you to become legalistic. I'm telling you, make Christ the priority in your life and everything else will work its way out. It's just the truth. I've seen it in my own life and when Christ begins to slip from that place of priority, I watch the other things in my life start to crumble very quickly. I want to close with this as a band comes out. I, uh, as many of you know, I'm a songwriter and an artist, and I've been releasing songs, um, frankly, as I can afford to have them produced. And so, little by little, and um, I'm going to be releasing a new song soon, and I wrote this song, this idea, I just think this is cool how God works. This idea of legalism within the church and false religion has been something that's been on my heart over the past few months. And... Um, the next song I'm releasing is called Who Am I Trying to Fool? And it's a song all about this stuff. So a month ago when Pastor Michael asked me to teach, I had no idea what I'd be teaching on because this is living truth and we don't know how many verses we're going to get through on any given Sunday. And uh, I'm amazed I got through the 14 verses today. And so when he finished his message last week, I kind of chuckled because I skimmed through the beginning of chapter 12 and I thought, that's what my next song is all about is legalism and false religion. And so I wanted to, if you'd be so kind as to hear them, just uh, read you some of the lyrics from my next song that I'm working on right now. 
And it's called, Who Am I Trying to Fool? And maybe we need to do some examination within our own hearts this morning. It's almost a song of self-reflection and a song to the church. And it says, is there a toxic culture inside? And did we forget the cornerstone in the midst of our pride? We keep holding our head up high, but there's no bones beneath that make up a spine. We've traded pieces of silver for lives, and these broken systems won't keep us alive. There's more than what meets the eye. There's a truth that runs through all time. And the chorus of the song says, Because I don't want some false religion, a new heart, make the incision. Because I can cling to my opinions and hold tight to my religion. But if truth is not the anthem, my heart and mind are not in tandem, then who am I? Who am I trying to fool? My question for you this morning is, who are you trying to fool? Because if your goal on Sunday morning is to just make sure that you look like a Christian, and then you leave here, and nothing about your life looks like Christ, what is that? That's not Christianity. In fact, this place is a hospital. This should be the place where you come and you, you let people know, like, yeah, I did not have a good week. Like, I need your prayers. I, can you want to get coffee? Like, I could really use somebody to talk to and get some biblical wisdom. But instead, what does our human nature do? We walk through the doors, and we just got in a fight with our spouse. The kids are screaming, and you walk in the door, and people are like, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, I'm so good, brother. Thank you so much. God bless you. See you in there, huh? And it's completely phony. Now, some of you are genuinely like that, and I envy your joy, and I want to be like you. But I think that you understand what I'm saying is that some of us come in and we put on that facade and we pretend like it's all good, but it's not. And so this should also be a place of transparency and a refuge for for broken people, a hospital for sinners. That's the heart of our Savior. Look at what he did with that man. He walked in and he had compassion on him. Amen. Our God is a miracle working God. He is a good God and he wants your heart and not your religion. You've been listening to The Bondage of Legalism, Part 3 on Walk in Truth. And that was Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance's teaching in Matthew 12, 1 through 14. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, the bottom line on this message is that we want to be in bondage not to the legalism of some other person, man-made religion, but we want to be a servant of Christ. We want to do what he calls us to do. We want to do our master's will. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord of your life. You're not living by man-made religion or rules. You're living by the king's commands. You can find those in the New Testament and you can Hear the the teaching of Jesus. You can read the New Testament letters, get clarification about uh, what they say. You can know for yourself so that no one will ever dupe you or convince you about something that's not you know from your Lord. So that's where you go to the New Testament. Of course, there's implications of what Jesus said that you need to consider as well. But start by just getting to know the Lord, the Word of God or the God of the Word, you'll know how to navigate between these topics of accountability, legalism, and other things. Well, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Pastor Michael Lance. I'm normally doing the preaching here. That was my my son doing part three on this message. And uh, we have six amazing pastors at a local fellowship where I get to serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth 
Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. Hey, if you want to know more about us as a church or about our radio ministry, walkintruth.com is the website, walkintruth.com. You have some tabs that you can uh, click on, donate, church. You can kind of scroll around, listen to some previous teaching, get to know us a little bit better. Please pray for us. We we covet your prayers. We would love your support. You know, we have, I think, under 50 Walk in Truth partners. That would be a person who gives a monthly gift to us. That's 5-0, under 50. And we're trying to get into more mission fields, but we could use your help. If you have the financial resources and you've been thinking about giving to a ministry and you've been liking what you hear, uh, we could really use more financial support. We, the church that I pastor, Living Truth, is donating, I think, up to half or more of the radio bill. We have more listeners um, partnering with us, but we could use more. We'd like to be 100% listener supported. So go to walkintruth.com, click on that uh, donate tab, and partner with us today. Any amount, $20 a month helps, whatever you can do, a one-time gift, walkintruth.com. Click on that donate tab today. And we'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 12, 15 through 23, called, In His Name, the Nations Will Hope. Jesus could never quite withdraw, you know? He always had people following him around. And look, he didn't say to those people, Can you give me a break? These people are huddling up wanting to kill me. Hello? He didn't ask for people to hear him or anything. What did he do? The Bible says, Many followed him and he healed them all. What a gracious God we have. Amen. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.